Thank you for downloading this sermon from Heritage Baptist Church. We are so glad that you did. We believe that biblically faithful, Christ-centered, God-glorifying local churches are the primary means that God has chosen to expand His kingdom. If you are part of such a church, we hope that this message will supplement your spiritual diet. If you aren't yet part of such a church, we would love for you to visit us. For more details, please check out our website www.heritagebaptist.co.za We continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount this evening. said the last time that it's quite been quite a quite a blessing going through this series um, and this evening we want to start a new section uh, we're going to start Matthew chapter 6 um, we've just been through Matthew chapter 5 which is the beginning on the Sermon on the Mount we've seen the the, the current position the current situation of a Christian uh, the blessed nature of a Christian when we went through the Beatitudes and then we went through uh, a masterful exposition of the law uh, by the Lord Jesus uh, to dispel all the false teachings of the Pharisees. And this evening we start a new series, as I said, and in chapter 6, <clears throat> we're going to see how Christians are to live in the presence of God. Uh, we're going to unpack and, and understand what the Lord is saying in trying to help us understand how Christians ought to live in the world in the presence of God. So if you're able to, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be reading the first four verses. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 6, 1 to 4, reads as follows. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Let's pray as we ask for the Lord's help. Oh, Lord Jesus, we're just so amazed at what a masterful preacher you are. We're just so amazed that this greatest sermon in history was recorded for us to open your heart to us. We're so thankful for Lord Jesus at, at your word, and we do pray this evening that you'd help us understand what it is you would want us to be in this world. Lord Jesus, help us to see what it is like to live in God's presence, living primarily to please the Father and not men. We ask this in your name. Amen. As human beings, irrespective of our various backgrounds, we all share a number of characteristics and inclinations. One could say that our love uh, for those who are close to us, or our enjoyment of good food, or our desire for safety and security are a common interest among us among us. Similarly, in our sinful nature, we share a common innate desire to be praised by other people. Man loves to be the center of attraction. 
one almost needs to apologize for a statement like this in the world that we live in. As I was preparing this and I was typing this, I said, do you really want to say that? Man loves being the center of attraction. Now, those who have children among us have a front row seat in seeing this. Look at me, daddy. Look at me, mommy. Four favorite words of children. And as parents, it's not enough to just look at them when they ask you to look at them. You need to respond with some word of praise. Oh, wow, look at that. You are just standing there. Oh, wow, look at you. You are eating. Well, there's really nothing impressive. Uh, the school that our children go to have even, I mean, they've taken this to the nth degree. Every child in the school gets a merit award, a merit badge, a thanks for coming award. And parents need to come and watch them on stage and clap. And I told Lydia, I'm never going to something like that ever. This desire for praise and adoration carries right through to our adulthood. And only God's restraining grace keeps us from taking it to its fullest extent. You would think that it applies only with respect to our, our talents and, and our gifts. But it actually goes on to uh, show itself even in our good works. It's so insidious as sin that even good works that we, that we want to do, that we do, often carry with them a desire to be praised and a desire um, to be uh, adulated by other people. It's not enough to just do a, a kind act today. One needs to shout it from the rooftop so that others can see and praise us. In our text this evening, the Lord Jesus confronts this hard attitude head on. He leaves no stone unturned and is calling us to a life that is contrary to our nature, in light with the high calling to which he's called us. So I've split our text this evening into three headings for those of you taking notes. Firstly, we have the, the general principle that Jesus is teaching us in verse 1. The general principle that he's getting to. And then secondly, how it applies with respect to giving to the needy. I mean, just the beauty of this sermon. When you look at Matthew chapter 6, the Lord starts with a the, with the principle, and then he goes on to give three examples or illustrations of how to apply that. And we're going to focus on one today, which is giving to the needy. Firstly, then, what is the general principle that Jesus is teaching here? One thing that I've realized with the Sermon on the Mount, and I was speaking with this with some, about this with someone earlier, he's not here to absolutize things. The Sermon on the Mount should not be seen as just a general code of ethics. And that's the beauty of our faith, is that it is a thinking religion. We need to apply our mind, we need to be wise, given the different circumstances that we find ourselves in. You read in one text, uh, let your light shine among men in order that other people may see your good deeds and give glory to God. And you read a text like this, it says, don't do your righteous acts in front of other people for you to see them. The Christian life is a, I like the way someone put it, it is a, it is a, a delicate act of balance and poise. So what I understand, what, what is the hard issue that Jesus is getting to? What is the, the letter and not the spirit, which is what he's after? Notice in verse 1, the Lord opens his teaching with the word beware. He says, beware, as his opening statement. Living in a country like South Africa, where safety and security are priority in many homes, we're familiar with the signs, beware of the dogs. The sign that I'm very afraid of is when he says, ingozi. Hey, I, don't even, I don't even try to get close to that. 
When they put it in Zulu, don't even go anywhere near there. Don't expect a puppy on the other side of the, of the gate. Now these signs are intended as a strict warning of imminent danger for those who trespass. In other words, you enter at your own risk. So what is Jesus warning um, his hearers here against? Well, it's quite clear in, in Scripture. It's a warning against practicing righteousness. In other words, doing religious and noble activities before other people in order to be noticed by them. The Lord says, practicing righteousness in general, and then later on in his sermon, he goes on to give three illustrations, as I said, with respect to giving to the needy, verse 2 to 4, and then prayer, verse 5 to 15, come next week, and then fasting, verses 16 to 18. Note that it's not against these practices that the Lord is against. These are good religious activities that should be done. Rather, as we've seen in the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord is interested with our motives, the heart. First Samuel 16, 7 says this, it says, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at outward appearances, but the Lord looks on the heart. Now this statement is true of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's not just interested in outward practices of these religious activities, but also in the motives behind them. So the question for you this evening is this, why do you do the things you do for the body of Christ? Why are you here this evening? Why do you faithfully tithe every month? Why do you serve in the ministries that you serve in? Check your heart. And if your motives are not right, we are called to repent and pray for the right motives. Let me just give this point of, of clarity. I don't think that the Lord Jesus Christ is saying that every single activity or every single righteous or noble activity should be done in secret. The apostles performed their miracles in public. And we see one of these in Acts 3 where Peter heals a lame person in public. The whole public was there. Everyone was, was there. I mean, this man was at the gate of the temple. Closer to our context, take praying, for example. Every Sunday morning, there's someone who comes and stands here and prays publicly. Those things are not done in secret, but in public. Or giving, for example, I mean, we couldn't have put the offering baskets in a more plain, visible way. I mean, visible entrances by the door. It's impossible for you to give gifts to the church in secret because they're all in public. So it's not a public, it's not that the Lord is against public ministry, but the motives behind them, as I said. Our motives are so important that they determine the source of our rewards. Whether they'll be from man who sees our public acts of righteousness or from God who sees in secret. We're going to touch on the principle of reward later in the text. But suffice, suffice it to say that those who do public acts of righteousness in order to be seen by others forfeit an infinite reward from, far from the Father. Just as an aside, I want you to see there in verse 1. It says, the Lord says, your Father who is in heaven. What sweet, comforting words are these with the Lord Jesus Christ? And he, he does this a number of times, your Father. 
If you're a Christian here and you're sitting on your pews, on your chairs rather, one source of comfort that we need to remember is that God is our Father. And as our Father, He has called us to live in a way that pleases Him and glorifies us, because, glorifies Him because He knows what's good for us. We find our best purpose and joy in life if we live primarily for the glory of God, who is our Father. So in order to thrive as his child and him as your father, God the Father, your Father, wants you to live in dependence on him and solely to please him. Now that we understand this uh, general principle that the Lord is teaching here, of keeping our motives in, in check uh, when practicing our religious activities, let's now move over to a second heading to understand how it applies in the context of giving to the needy. Verse 2 begins with the word thus, or you could read it as therefore. The Lord is saying, given this principle, this overriding principle that I've given with respect to public acts of righteousness, note the following. Firstly, how not to give to the needy. When you give to the needy, the Lord continues to say in verse 2, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. A few things to note from this. Firstly, the Lord says, when you give to the needy. When you give to... It's not an if statement. He doesn't say if you give to the poor or to the needy. And he does the same thing in, in context with praying and fasting. When you pray. When you fast. And the conclusion here is that there is a, an expectation from the Lord that Christians will be in the habit of giving to the needy. Same as there is a, an expectation that Christians will pray and Christians will fast. If you still need, need more convincing on the expectation on Christians to be giving to the needy, look at Proverbs 19.17. You don't have to go there. It says, whoever is generous, listen to this, Proverbs 19.17, it's so good. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. I'm in the lending business, and uh, you know, in credit, we have these things called the four C's of credit. Number one, character. Will that loan that you're lending someone be repaid? Will he pay you? Is he trustworthy? Number two, collateral. What security is this person providing? Number three, capacity. Is this person able, does he have the wherewithal to pay you back for this loan? And capital, how much is he worth? That's the four C's of credit. Proverbs 19.17 is the best credit position you'll ever find yourself in. God meets all of these four C's of credit. And he will keep his promise and recompense you for giving to the needy. Provided, as we just see here, you do it with the right motive. Look for the reward that comes from him and not the reward that comes from man. Acts 20.35, Paul says this. He says, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must keep, we must help the weak and remember the words of Jesus. Listen to this. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Mike said it this morning. He says, It is a privilege to give. It is a, and I will add, it is also a privilege to give to the needy. And I dare say, irrespective of the motive, it is a privilege 
to have the means to be able to bless others with what you have. So who are the needy among us? The Lord makes no distinction, meaning that anyone who is needy among us should not be discriminated. Galatians 6.10 says this, So then, we, as we have opportunity, let us do good to some people. No. No. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are in the household of faith. Our good deeds, including our giving, should be extended to everyone with an even greater emphasis on fellow Christians, those who are in the body of Christ. With respect to giving to the need, you must also heed the warning on, from 1 Timothy 5.8, not to neglect to give or to provide to the needs of our relatives, especially those in our immediate families. Now, as we've seen in the Sermon of the Mount, and I say it again, we need to apply wisdom. It's not a blanket code of, ethic, of ethics. So in the area of needy, we need to apply wisdom. In the area of giving to the needy, we need to apply wisdom. There are some who view Christians and the church as, as, as weak spots. There are some who view Christians as, a, as an opportunity to um, manipulate and get money out of them. See, when someone comes and asks you for money and he says, man of God, you must just know this man is manipulating me. <laughs> if you're a man of God, you're definitely going to give to the poor, right? Woman of God, that is a manipulation technique. So, so like I said here, the principle here is not to give to every single needy person who comes and asks you for money. Love masters all virtues. And so if our giving is not loving, we should not be giving. If someone comes to you ask for money smelling like glue, giving that person money will be funding a drug addiction. If you have a lazy sibling who asks you for monthly airtime, and has no intention to work, you will be fund you giving that lazy sibling will be funding a life of laziness and idleness. So we need to apply wisdom in this. Now that we understand our, our general disposition towards the needy, the Lord continues to show us uh, the wrong motive to have when giving to the needy. He continues to say in verse 2, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, that they may be praised by others. Those who make a, spectacle, a, a public spectacle of giving to the needy in order to be praised by them, they'll definitely get a reward. Let me tell you this. If you give to the needy, you will get a reward. If you give to the needy and you publicize it, you will get a reward. Just don't expect it to be from God. People say, oh, wow, look at this guy. I mean, he's so generous. He's just given to these people. That is your reward. The fact that people see you as an amazing person who gives to the poor. Now, in our context, we don't go around blowing trumpets. But we have subtle ways of blowing the proverbial trumpet. I mean, do you just slide it in there? Oh, I did this. But I mean, it's not really, not really a, you know, a big thing, so don't worry about it, but I did this. You know, these eye specialists, I always, uh, I had to rebuke myself. You know, these eye specialists, I did this, I did that. I had to actually rebuke myself because I'm also one of those deep down inside. I was the one with the, 
log in my eye trying to judge one with a spectacle in his eyes, but we are all this way. So let us look for those proverbial trumpets when we give and do acts of righteousness. Do we post on social media? Do we tell other people, like I say, just sliding it in? Why forfeit the higher reward from the Father for a cheaper reward which will not last for eternity? A reward that will last three seconds. When we give publicly to receive praise from other people, God doesn't get the glory. We get the glory. We become thieves or, or usurpers of God's glory because even the gifts that we have to give to the needy come from him. Everything ultimately belongs to God. We become like that soccer player. You know that soccer player, the ball is, roll, is rolling towards the net. It's just about to cross the net and he comes and kicks it into the net and celebrates like it's his goal. It's God's goal. It's not your goal. Haggai, Haggai 2.8. Many of you are probably saying, what, there's Haggai in the Bible? It is there. Haggai 2.8 says this, the silver is mine and the gold is mine declares the Lord of hosts. Did you get that? Everything, all the wealth that is on the earth, our ability to give even a single rand ultimately belongs to the Lord of hosts. There's no basis, therefore, for seeking praise for our gifts when we give to the poor because all that we are, all that we are are poor trustees. We've been given a gift for a short period of time. Mike made that useful analogy in the, morning, in the morning. But ultimately, it belongs to the Lord, and we're not going to leave with it. Now, to mitigate this um, negative or false motive for giving, let's hear what Jesus calls us to do in verse 3. And he says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. If there is a pair of body parts that work literally hand in hand. It's the left hand and the right hand. If you're blessed with a, a pair of both hands, you'll know that you need both of them to eat. You need both of them to hold things. You need both of them to drive. If there's ever a time where you want to know what your right hand is doing, go ask this closest and intimate friend, the left hand. Yet Jesus says that the left hand should not even know what the right hand is doing. Someone once said this, says, don't even announce it to yourself when you're giving to the poor. That's, that's, that's really where, where, where this is getting to. Jesus is calling us to the highest, logic-defying, countercultural secrecy when it comes to giving to the needy. Even what we'd consider as obvious audiences should not witness our generosity. You know what people say when, when a need has been met and they don't know who it comes from? You know what they say? God provided. Think of, the, think of the generous contribution to the church building. What was the reaction? We don't know who gave it. What was the reaction? God has provided. Who gets the glory? God. But if you say, Mr. So-and-so has just written us a check of five million rand towards the building. Yay, Mr. So-and-so, you're so generous. Thank you for giving. God doesn't get the glory. 
And listen to the, to the promise from the Lord in verse 4. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Giving in secret is a surefire way of not receiving praise from men, but guaranteeing reward from the father. Note the promise of rewards in this text. The Lord in numerous instances promises rewards, both in this life and in the life to come. As Christians, we can easily get into this little, you know, this guilt trip. You know, should I be doing things out of duty or should I be doing things because I want reward? Those two are not mutually exclusive. You can do both. Don't be guilt tripped in saying, well, I'm, you know, why am I doing this? I feel dirty if I want to do this because of reward. Quickly turn to Luke 19, 12 to 24. Luke chapter 19, 12 to 24. Luke chapter 19, 12 to 24, it reads as follows. <clears throat> he said, therefore, a noble man went to a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minus and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your miner has made 10 minus more. And he said to them, well done, good and faithful servant. Because you have been faithful in the very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your miner has made five miners. And he said to them, and you are to be over five cities. And another came saying, Lord, here is your miner which I kept and laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank that at my coming it might, I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the miner from him and give it to the one who has the ten miners. In this parable that we've just read, the noble man resembles the Lord Jesus who has left the world and when returned in his second coming to consummate his kingdom. Notice in this, and unlike in Matthew 25, on the parable of the talents, everyone has the same gift, which I take to mean the gift of salvation, or as others might say, the Holy Spirit. At his second coming, as we see in the parable, he will reward his servants for what he did, for what they did with the gift that they've received. Rewards, the principle of rewards is clear in this text. And Luke 6, verse 38, you don't have to turn there, it says this, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured out on your lap. Unfortunately, texts like these have been abused in the you know, health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. But this is a text that is in the Bible. It's in the Bible. 
says, for with the measure that you use, it'll be measured towards you. With the measure that you use of stinginess, it'll be used towards you. With the measure that you use of generosity, it'll be used towards you. Let these texts encourage you to be eager to receive the reward from God and not the reward from man. And what exactly are these rewards? Well, we, we, we don't know. We've seen examples of, of cities. I mean, we, we don't know. There are some, there's been some theories and some of them are extra biblical. But we know that God will not withhold any good thing from those who walk uprightly. uprightly. Now it's important to clarify when teaching or, or preaching on texts like these that we are not calling for a salvation by generosity or a salvation by good works. If you're an unbeliever here this evening, it doesn't matter if you come with the best strategies for giving in secret. You will not receive a reward from God. We're told that all our righteous deeds are as filthy rags, even in our giving. In your case, if you're an unbeliever, what's left for you is a reward for your sinful, rebellious living. Romans 6.23 says this, the wages the reward for sin is death. Apart from Christ, there is no reward for giving to the needy, even if you give everything you have to give to the needy. So this radical way of giving and the promised reward is applicable only to Christians. If you're not a Christian, rather see yourself as the one who is in need, the one who needs the free gift of forgiveness from the Father. It is a free gift, but it's a costly gift. 1 Peter 18 to 19 says this, You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus' blood is infinitely more valuable than all the gold and all the silver that can be found. Now, if you're an unbeliever, once you have received this, then you are free to go and give to the needy in the way that the Lord is calling us to. In closing, let me say this, that Jesus perfectly shows us how to give and live righteously, solely for God, and not to please men. Jesus' sole purpose in life was to please God and not man. He lived entirely for the praise and service of God. How many times do you read in scripture after Jesus does a miracle? He, he hid. He, he went and hid somewhere. Or he disappeared from the crowds. He goes and heals someone. And the crowds come and they want to make him a king. And then he disappears. Jesus even says in John 4, 34, he says, My food is to do the will of God. A life of total surrender total dedication towards pleasing God and not man. Now may we live sold out lives like this in Coram Deo, which is to live one's life in the presence of God, under the authority of God, to the glory of God. May God help us be this way. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we, we repent for times when we've served your body, for times when we've done acts of righteousness and religion to, be ple to please men 
for people to see us and see how dedicated we are and how much we work hard for the kingdom and how gifted we are. Oh, Father, forgive us for this sin. Forgive us for not imitating Christ, whose food was to do your will. Oh, Lord, we do pray that you come now and work in us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Give us the right motives for our good works. Help us to live solely to please you in your presence. And we ask for this grace, even this coming week. We pray, Father, that if there's anyone here, Lord, who has not yet bowed the knee, that you would come and meet with them tonight and show them the beauty of Christ and save them. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.